0: Very good morning, everybody. This is Box. The U.S. Senate race in Georgia appears still too close to call as markets focus on the balance of power in the U.S. government. Meanwhile, futures are seesawing, while the 10-year Treasury yield climbs to 1% for the first time since March.
1: U.S. President Donald Trump signs an executive order banning eight Chinese software apps, including Alipay, in the latest move to escalate tensions between the world's largest economies. China's services sector activity slipped to a three-month low, albeit continuing to grow as the emergence of scattered COVID outbreaks tempers the recovery.
2: Oil prices break past $50 a barrel for the first time since February after Saudi Arabia makes a surprise announcement saying it will go above and beyond pledging one million barrels per day in voluntary cuts.
0: Uh, we probably should uh, bring in our co-anchor. I
1: was gonna say, this felt like something was missing, didn't it, last couple of days? Absolutely. And here she
2: is. Morning.
1: Absolutely.
2: Happy New happy Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy. Yes, Happy New Year to you both. Yeah. Doesn't feel like much has changed, though, does it?
1: Not really. No. Still got. Kind of, well, I mean, we kind of tried to pretend on Monday that things had changed a bit, but quite frankly, it feels exactly the same as well. So, but it's lovely to see you anyway. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and New Year.
2: Yeah, nice to see you. There's uh, plenty of uh, food stocked in the cupboards, uh, a little bit of alcohol on the side. So, hey, it was perfect. What else was there to do? Well,
1: I-, I tell you what was trending uh, two days ago, of course, was that all the people who tried to start off dry January in the United Kingdom by five minutes past eight after the prime <laughs> minister had spoken, a load of people had cancelled dry January because they were consoling themselves about the new lockdown. So, um, yeah, dry January is going to be tough for many people, I think, with the kids at home.
0: Uh, We've got to wait and see what this uh, US Senate race uh, reveals as well, which will uh, take us forward, I think, in terms of how markets uh, feel about the political impasse. So let's get into that conversation. Georgia's Senate runoff elections remain too close to call with the balance of power in Washington at stake. Counting is continuing across the state with 98% of votes logged so far. Democrats could reclaim control of the Senate with victory in both races. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris would uh, act as the tie-breaking vote in her role as President of the Senate if it comes down to it. Uh, We mentioned the seesaw session as far as futures are concerned. Let's just give you a quick update. On where we currently sit and the implied open here has a negative to the start of trade for the Dow and the S&P but what I think is really interesting is that big number on the Nasdaq implying quite a significant uh, drop to the start of the trading session but we are of course a long way away from the open in the US so we'll just keep a weathered eye on these numbers.
1: Don't you love this bit where we learn about all these places we would never heard of and learn how to pronounce them as well I mean Fulton County yeah that's a very easy one but decab has got an L in it somewhere but it's called right. DeCab. I believe rather than DeKalb. Yes. And these are the key places we're still counting anyway. Well,
0: I'll just focus on Atlante. I'll leave you to the uh, difficult to pronounce ones. Very sweet of you. Um, Let's have a look at the Treasury market. The the notable uh, fact, I think, as we pointed out to you in the headlines here was how we uh, saw that uh, yield uh, move back to 1% on the 10-year Treasury note here. I think um, people are watching the uh, inflation uh, break evens very closely just to see if there's any real indication that the market is beginning to reprice expectations around inflation for 2021. The, kneel, the, the, kneel, the yield uh nudging back up to one percent i'll just rename it you know uh, nudging think you said back that? up to one percent
1: because there is a, an english football manager called neil warnock and your next one is warnock right uh, is that I, what you
0: said that no I, well who knows who knows who what's knows? going on in the
1: subconscious absolutely let's have a
0: look at the green back then this is where the dollar uh, is currently sitting at the moment. Um, we are 122.99 on euro dollar here. Very interesting, the, the range of people who've got big forecasts out there for dollar to go uh, 130 or even further uh, over the course of the year. Um, now they sterling have. dollar, one thirty. Now they've they got another
1: consensus trade out there.
0: Well, uh, p- very difficult, though, to be very brave on that, I would say, given uh, how we've started the trade so far this year. But that's a, a quick snapshot on how we sit on the currencies. Karen.
2: And, Jeff, let's get into the politics and the latest around uh, the Senate race, says Democratic Senate candidate Raphael Warnock, who currently has a slim lead over Republican Kelly Leffler, said he was honoured by the faith shown in him by voters.
0: Georgia, I am honoured by the faith that you have shown in me. And I promise you this tonight. I am going to the Senate to work for all of Georgia. No matter who you cast your vote for in this election, in this moment in American history, Washington has a choice to make. In fact, all of us have a choice to make.
2: But Republican Senator Kelly Leffler struck an optimistic tone, saying she still has a path to victory. It took every single person in this room to get where we are right now. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. We got lots of things to go out, but we got some work to do here. This is a game of inches. We're going to win this election. We're going to save this country. That's right. That's right. We're going to win Georgia and save America.
0: Uh, We're speaking to Capital Connection earlier this morning. Donald Trump's former communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, said the Georgia race may skew towards the Democrats.
3: I like the uh, mixed power, if you will. It wouldn't bother me at all if the Republicans kept the Senate. But it doesn't look that way. If you look at the actual underlying counties and the precincts that are reporting They're decidedly Democratic precincts. And so if you just do the math off the presidential election or the last congressional election, it does seem likely that the Democrats will win both of those seats. Uh, That'll be very good for Bitcoin, by the way, but it likely won't be great for the stock market in the near term.
0: Well, let's bring in Harry Holzer, professor of public policy at Georgetown University and a former chief economist at the US Department of Labor. Good to have you with us and thanks for staying up for us. What's your read on the current standing so far? Just give us a sit rep as to how you think this is now setting up.
4: Well, um, I think that uh, there's a very high likelihood that Raphael Warnock will win his race uh, against Kelly Loeffler, despite her optimistic claims. He's up by about 35,000 votes, um, and, and I think that's likely to hold. Uh, the other race between David Perdue uh, and John Ossoff uh, could not be closer. Uh, right now, that it's separated by a 1,000 or 2,000 votes. But what all the vote counters say, similar what, to what Mr. Scaramucci just said, is that the outstanding votes tend more to come from Democratic areas. So as those votes get counted, uh, it will likely bolster both margins for the Democrats. So I, I, I think there is a quite good likelihood uh, that both Democrats will win and therefore the Democrats will control the Senate uh, as well as the House and the White House. Let's go with that. Um, if we war game
0: that, what does that imply then in terms of uh, fiscal stimulus uh, very early on in a Biden presidency? Because I think we pretty much all agree that maybe the last stimulus uh, package would have possibly been the last package for 2021 if the Senate had gone to the Republicans. So, Harry, give us your read on how you think the fiscal uh, easing may change under uh, a Biden with the House and the
4: Senate. Well, I, I think what you said is exactly right. Um, if Mitch McConnell were still running the Senate and um, there would either be no stimulus uh, in 2021, or, or a very modest one. Uh, and Mitch McConnell always does what's good for Mitch McConnell, but especially for the Republicans. And, and he if he felt that the Republicans were going to be hurt politically by a lack of stimulus, <clears throat> excuse me, he he would be more inclined to uh, let another one pass. But but if the Democrats are in control, I think this is something that. Uh, that all 50 Democratic senators will support uh, another round of of relief and stimulus. Uh, And and certainly Kamala Harris was president of the Senate. So so I I think by very, and and of course, if the Democrats are calling the votes, then even some of the Republicans, the more moderate Republicans come aboard, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, et cetera. So so I, I think there will be, that will be the highest priority for the new administration. And I think they will put together a new uh, a, a new stimulus package relatively soon. And I think it will pass. Professor,
1: obviously, um, parallels are being made with the, the first Obama administration and what they wanted to really uh, do in 2009. He had his own crises with Afghanistan and the financial crisis as well. But the, the ACA was the, the longer term key first issue for the Obama administration, which they, they passed uh, after a lot of shenanigans as well. What's the first longer term issue uh, for Mr. Biden as well? Of course, COVID is there clear and present. But after that, what's what's the, the, the trophy issue that he wants? To get through well he, he has several of them in fact and, and and what you just said is true
4: both both dealing with the pandemic and helping the economy recover are, are the two short-term emergencies uh but he's very interested in uh energy and the environment uh he's very interested in uh bolstering uh american manufacturing uh and technological innovation uh, in the economy uh he's very interested in, in racial justice uh, he's interested in family work issues like paid family leave, uh, which the United States remains the only major industrial country not to have. So uh, uh, it's hard to, to identify exactly one issue, but there's a package of issues uh, that he has called his Build Back Better plan. And I, I think it's that package that he will be interested in pushing forward. Now, how many of those things he gets, uh, uh, you, you know, his his control in the Senate is so bare bone. Um, And and by the way, there does remain this thing called the filibuster, uh, which the Republicans will try to use whenever possible. That's why it took Obama 60 votes, not 50, to pass uh, the ACA uh, in 2009, 2010. Republicans will try to use that. Democrats have some Maneuvers to try to restrict the use of the filibuster, but that will be one more constraint on what Biden gets done. But it is that package of a build back better economic programs that I think he will want to push forward.
1: Yeah, I'm reading all about the the problems of 2009. I'm on page 550 out of 700 of promised lands. So I'm getting there, sir. Uh, but 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 with that in mind, one is also got to remember the Democratic Party dare I say, is not one party. And and the relationship between the Senate and the House is fractious very often as well, but actually between conservative Democrats and indeed the progressives as well. So do you think they will toe the line enough as a single party to get stuff done? You know, it it depends
4: on what the issue is. Um, So the most conservative Democratic senator is Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Joe Manchin needs to get reelected in West Virginia. Now, West Virginia... Uh, has become a very reliable Republican state. Uh, It's a poor state. Uh, It's an old coal mining state. Um, The state is very conservative on cultural issues, but not as much on economics. So I think if Joe Manchin can be convinced that he can convince the residents of West Virginia that some parts of those package uh, is good for the state, then he will feel more comfortable voting. Uh, with his Democratic colleagues. And and, and the same for some of the other more conservative Democrats. That's their calculation. So certainly, uh, uh, if AOC uh, were pushing for a big Green New Deal, uh, you wouldn't get 50 votes for that uh, among Democrats in the Senate. But for some of the more moderate planks that that Biden has embraced, uh, I I think there's a better chance that Democrats can, can hold together for that.
2: Professor, some voters were citing having a form of check on democratic power, which is why they voted for Republicans in this particular runoff. What happens if we do get gridlock? Because in the past, the stock market has not seen gridlock as a a negative outcome necessarily, but this time around, certainly different circumstances, different, more relief packages, where swift movement is required from Congress or from uh, President Biden. What do we expect then down the track if we do have this uh, power that is sort of effectively a stall because you have split views between the house and the
4: Senate well well again I don't think they'll be completely split uh, I think there are some parts of the agenda that the Democrats will be able to enact and we don't know how much but for instance you know I would think that the the financial markets I think would like action to more quickly recover the US economy uh, and and a, 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 a a deadlocked Congress wouldn't generate that. This Congress under democratic control would generate that. So my guess is that the capital markets will like uh, the the, the likelihood of of more economic stimulus. Beyond that, uh, if if Biden is starting to talk about raising tax rates, uh, raising the corporate rate back up, uh, uh, raising taxes on capital gains, then I can certainly see the markets not reacting so positively to that. Um, and, and and then again it's a question of whether he could even get that through the 50 votes he would need in in the senate uh so so again it depends exactly where that line will be drawn but but my guess is that the capital markets will like some of, of what this democratic government uh, will produce but perhaps not all of it
2: Can I ask you about voter fraud? Because President Trump has had the megaphone uh, on this issue uh, without any evidence. And Ben, this is uh, clearly another test of the democratic process this time around. What do you think we're learning in in terms of the way voters have reacted?
4: Well, um, uh, so so, so the the evidence suggests that there is no major voting fraud. Uh, The Republican officials that run Voting in the state of Georgia are all Republicans, uh, Mr. Raffensperger and 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 some of the others, and and they they've had three recounts. I mean, there simply is no serious evidence, and 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 there's at least some speculation that by Trump going down to Georgia and claiming that the voting is rigged, that that maybe some of some of the people who otherwise would have voted Republican stayed home. Uh, We'll never know how much or how, how many of them, but it's at least possible that that his his blatantly dishonest uh, statements, it's not the dishonesty, it's the fact that many of his supporters, if they believed him, would become discouraged enough to stay home, that might have made some difference in this election, which, of course, would be very ironic uh, if he were in the fact, the cause of the demise of of Republican control of the Senate.
1: So we're going to leave it there. But I mean, Jeff, thank you for staying up. I'm pretty sure on election night, you'd have been awake anyway, Harry. So, but no... Exactly.
4: Probably. Maybe maybe it was a little less to drink than I did. Yeah, uh, I noticed you interview.
1: were caffeinating in between questions. It's, it's kind of how we get by as well. Uh, Professor Holtz, nice to see you, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Professor Thank of Public much. Policy, Thank Georgetown University, me. former chief economist, U.S. Department of Labor. You, you know Georgetown's where the boss went, Jeff? Uh,
0: yes. Yeah. yeah. And Georgetown is just lovely. I mean, my many trips out to the IMF meetings, yes. um, I've enjoyed the hospitality of uh, many a bar and venue in Georgetown. Terrific, lovely, terrific lovely. part of town.
1: I bet you can't very wait nice. for those trips again. Got to what? They're the ones, they're the nice trips, aren't they?
0: They are the nice trips, yeah, yeah. They make a change from some of the other- Although I do get a bit wound up, you to. and
1: pictures, pictures of you and cameraman Mike eating ice creams on the, on the uh, by the Lincoln Memorial and stuff.
0: Yeah, amazing. no, there's a very nice curry house as oh, well, right, which is a regular oh, right, stop all right, all right. on our, ha- are you feeling hungry? How are you feeling? <laughs> you, you, you all right?
1: I'm feeling ready to go for the U.S. markets because that's what I'm ready for. Actually, it was a really interesting session again. And Jeff and I have been pontificating uh, off camera about the number of times that markets have a positive day after a big negative day. And actually, uh, it's significantly over 50%, I think, was the figure that uh, uh, Jeff pointed out to me as well. But what was really interesting is the gloom that was felt at one stage on the first trading day of the year was replaced by... Well, it was actually a really positive session across the board. Most sectors were in positive territory. 10 out of 11 energy. Something happened there. One minute I'm looking at some of these shares and the energy price and Brent and WTI pottering around just slightly higher, and then boom, it was 5% higher across the board. Uh, WTI putting on 4.9% to 50 bucks, give or take the change yesterday as well. So across the board, we saw energy leading on the market higher uh, after that dropping that we received in the previous session as well. Let's take a look at the Asian indices as well. And of course, we've had that Kaishin data, still positive, but slightly underwhelming compared to uh, where some had hoped to see it being. But uh, Shanghai Composite, uh, and the Hang Seng trading around the flat line, The Nikkei giving up another 100 points as well there, uh, and the ASX 200 down 1.1%, which is interesting considering the commodity bias to that index as well and how commodities have had a very strong 24 hours. Well, talking of commodities, coming up on the show, a Saudi-led agreement on production cuts. That's what boosted those oil prices. We'll talk about that after the break. Prices, as I mentioned before the break, got a big bounce after Saudi Arabia committed to voluntary production cuts of 1 million barrels a day in February and March. The surprise move came after a meeting with OPEC and its allies. Uh, Prices were further buoyed by data showing falling crude stockpiles in the United States. The kingdom made the move to help convince other countries to help uh, hold their output steady. Russia had previously argued that demand had recovered enough to raise production levels. Well, after the meeting, and with the Kingdom's oil facilities coming under frequent attack by Houthi forces, Saudi Energy Minister Abdulaziz bin Salman told CNBC he's confident when it comes to security.
3: A devious mind is very creative too. Uh, so they keep uh, uh, their creativity, unfortunately their creativity uh, are not focused on bringing uh, uh, uh too many good things for uh, their societies and what have you. But actually directed to bring havoc and destruction and to other uh, countries and other societies. Uh, there is nothing better than showing, casing what uh, we have done uh, in Abkhag and in uh, even, even in the last incidents, uh, we have uh, managed Uh, to undergo uh, uh, proactively measures that would uh, uh, render most of these attacks uh, as being negligible in uh, their impact and effectiveness.
1: So, let's go through this a little bit. There's not much to say here apart from the fact that it's all to play for. December the 14th, yeah, OPEC uh, says oil demand will rebound more slowly in 2021 than previously expected. Uh, The day later, we had the IEA saying oil demand will rebound more slowly than initially anticipated in 2021. We have planes not taking to the skies across the world. We have lockdowns Mm. across the board. We have people being told not to travel across the board as well. This is a defensive action from the world's oil producers which you would think on another day would potentially uh, add questions about where oil is going and yet The oil traders are making very decisive bets, it seems, to the upside at the moment, which I think is very, very interesting considering the fact that people see such precipitous declines in demand still uh, in the first and second quarters and are still now hoping for the second half of the year. I think it's an extraordinary situation. Now, whether it's the fundamentals or indeed the speculators leading the underlying product, I'll leave that to others to decide.
0: Can I pick up on that dissonance? Because I think um, just to throw in some other market numbers Isn't it fascinating that we had the narrative yesterday around the decline, first day of trade on Monday, that this was all about COVID and this was all about, as you've described, demand, destruction, and ultimately the lockdown of the US economy yet again. But on the rebound that we saw yesterday, the Russell did extraordinarily well. And I think the Russell is a pretty good uh, measure of um, people's attitude towards economic growth and its rebound. And then, of course, we had the uh, the World Bank come out and talk about 4% growth for 2021. That was the higher end of their range.
1: I was going to say, maybe.
0: But the point is that even as there is this story about the COVID lockdown impacting economic growth, the market is responding both to the supply side effect from the Saudis and OPEC going down the the path they're going. But also the market seems much more convinced that there is a big demand side pickup at some point later this year. And it seems to me that we're already trying to price it in with oil up at $50 a barrel, Karen.
2: Yeah, Jeff, I think it's a grim story playing out here in Europe and in the United States. And what we're seeing through our lens through, with lockdowns is a very uh, rough economic story playing out. But that's quite separate to what's happening in other parts of the world, including emerging markets. And what some of the oil traders were citing was the demand story they were seeing from the Asian customers at the end of last year and into this year, uh, to the point where you saw a drawdown a sell-off in some of the floating oil storage. So the, the market and some of the traders positioned around the optimism that vaccine rollouts will make a difference. And we saw that yesterday. Yesterday, in the market trade, that investors were focused on the fact that you've got the inoculation programs and that eventually we may get to the point where there is better news. This uh, may be the worst of it, uh, the very much the, the trough in the story economically and perhaps when it comes to, to COVID, but the, the market now focusing on the slightly more medium term perspective. And I think oil is very much a trade that is picking up on some of that optimism. But that said, it's all about the price, isn't it? We're still a long way off those 2019 levels of above $60 per barrel.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look where we've come from as well. I mean, we we are, what are we? We're 85 bucks, give or take the change, above where we were on that WTI expiry when we were worried about the, the Cushing capacity uh, in the United States. And we all started looking at Oklahoma and working out just where and how much capacity there could be in the United States. Bearing in mind, we were not, what, negative 35, negative 37 bucks on that expiry. So we have rallied. $87 on the front month contract as well, which seems an extraordinary thing to save. And I'm looking at that chart there as well. So I, I think a lot of ebullience perhaps has been uh, priced in. And again, I'll just chuck this in as well, because the fact of the matter is it's a different world now. The recovery plan in Europe doesn't envisage any hydrocarbon investment. It envisages a hell of a lot of, of green, electric, grid investment recovery plans from the incoming president will not have much for the hydrocarbon industry it will have a lot for new energy industries as well and of course as we've been talking about uh, there's still that cop26 that people are talking about as one of the key events later this year as well so there are a lot of structural factors as well uh, and I'll just throw in those esg investors as well which means that investment into this area into the individual corporates and the underlying product it, it's going to be a really tough battle but but as we all know as well um, hydrocarbons will play a very large part in the energy mix for many, many years to come. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.